This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. This out, Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pat him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me. Help. Help. Good morning. Good morning, uh, Professor Ward Scott here, but actually Coach Hogg here for a little bit because it's Monday. We got Coach Hogg's locker room on the Ward Scott Files here in the Melton Law Studio in the Ward Scott Files Command Center. Little nippy today, my friends here in our part of the country. Not anything compared to where you might be. Um, might have gotten down to freezing, and um, but the uh, barely. And I think we'll be fine. Cattle are still out there having a good time doing their thing with nature. So I kind of keep an eye on them. They tell me what to think. Watching the natural world is where I get a lot of my um, wisdom from, if there is such a thing. So um, today in Coach Hogg's locker room, there's a lot to talk about. And for the first time, it's really going to be a combination of COVID and um, athletics, as you've never heard before. But first of all, I want to I want to praise, if you will, um, the local women's sports at the University of Florida. Um, boy, I tell you what, I, I you know, it was nationally televised and the gymnastics, I'm told, uh, by the announcers had 9,000 or so uh, in uh, the, the uh, arena last night to watch our women gymnastics team defeat um, Alabama with two of the ladies getting perfect tens. And it was really something. It was uh, a real crowd pleaser. I hope that we get to that place with the women's basketball team because I think we got a very good coach. And uh, she's won again yesterday against Alabama at Alabama. And, and uh, I just think we really need to pull for uh, ladies' athletics as much as possible. And, of course, the gymnastics uh, squad has got a, a long reputation here of excellence, and I think we can get there with the basketball team. I'd love to see that kind of crowd for the ladies' basketball team. So uh, keep an eye on them. Um, they're very much uh, worth supporting. Of course, you already know about uh, women's gymnastics, but women's basketball – is also uh, really, I think, looking as good, maybe positioned as well as that can be has been positioned in a while to do to do well. Um, the other thing, of course, the playoffs, which are really very competitive. I have to hand it to what the NFL has managed to do in spite of COVID and in spite of uh, the attempt by some people to politicize it. It has remained at least here down towards the end, practically pure competitive athletics at a very high level. And uh, we're going to have, of course, the Bengals versus the Titans. I've always liked Joe Burrow. Um, I think he is an excellent quarterback. He gets rid of the ball quickly. He sees the field. He understands the game. And he was riding the pines uh, in Ohio State behind another quarterback that uh, had supposedly beaten him out. That's how deep the Ohio State squad has been. And he went to Louisiana and won LSU like they've never won before. And then, of course, he came to the Bengals and was injured his first year, has come back from that quite well. So um, he's, uh, he's really something. And you can't get where these teams are 
without good quarterbacks. Of course, you have the um, uh, 49ers and the Packers, and 49ers have a good quarterback there who, who, who is smart and who has done well and has taken a good uh, um, uh, position and, um, there with the 49ers. Of course, the Packers have got um, Rodgers, and he's very, very good. Um, the Bucks, of course, with Brady, whom we don't know who they'll play yet. That game is tonight. And the Bills versus the Chiefs. And the Bills had a quarterback that practically put the game um, uh, on his back. Uh, so that was very exciting playoff games if you're so inclined to watch that sort of thing. It's, it's uh, about as good as I've seen the NFL perform lately. And they, as I say, they're all coming down to sort of nail-biter positions and games and calls and decisions. And every once in a while, there's a bad decision to spice up the soup and to make it a little more interesting. So um, that I want to talk about a little bit uh, during a Coach Hogg's locker room. But the big story, of course, is uh, Novak Djokovic, who has now earned the nickname, and it will probably stay with him for the rest of his life, of Novax, N-O-V-A-X, Novax Djokovic. Um, it's really been best summed up, perhaps, by the Japanese player, Osaka, who said, unfortunately, in her quiet way, she said, uh, unfortunately, this is probably going to be his defining moment. Here's a great athlete, 34 years old. Now, he can maintain a pretty high quality of competition. Federer has done it, but Federer is very unusual. Uh, and, and, but he can maintain that, uh, that state of excellence maybe a couple more years at that level, 35, 36 years old. But he's going to be constantly challenged by some really good young ones who are nipping at his heels. And this is a real, this is a real game breaker for Novak Djokovic. And perhaps the best uh, and most recent comment on it has been by Joshua Robinson, who just published it last night in the Wall Street Journal. I've got a whole a pile of comments here written by people about Djokovic as everybody watched his saga. And, um, but he eventually, Australia stuck to what it said it was going to do. And I got to tell you that the Words God Files, yours truly predicted a long time ago, that notwithstanding where you are on this continuum of, of, um, of acceptance or rejection of the vaccination, you're going to discover that the world is going to separate the vaccinated from the unvaccinated sooner or later. And I made the comparison that it was could be along the lines of what happened to the tuberculosis wards. And oh my God, it all hit the fan. I wasn't a true conservative, this, that, one, another. I'm not in this to take a position, political position. I'm in here to show you uh, what the world's reaction will be given human nature and given the nature of some of these uh, countries and the way in which they're dealing with it. Australia, of course, um, it doesn't matter whether you are for or against it, uh, the vaccination. If you're not vaccinated, you're not coming there, period. Now, we've got a problem over here. We've got thousands and thousands and thousands of immigrants pouring in here that are unvaccinated. I'm going to give you the number here in a little bit that old Uncle Sleepy Joe doesn't say a word about. And um, but Australia you know, it's 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 locked its borders down. Uh, many people wish we'd lock our borders down. We should have locked them down a long time ago, in many people's opinions, not just to the unvaccinated, but just lock them down to the ones who haven't been cleared to come here and protect citizenship. That's one of the very, very big issues 
is protecting citizenship. So we've got a case in Australia where um, they, they didn't compromise. And Djokovic knew this before he came there, but he thought really the rules didn't apply to him is what the rest of the tennis players are saying. So this must have been a lonely trip for him back from Melbourne, Australia, first to Dubai, which was a 13 and a half hour plane trip from Melbourne to Dubai. And then from there, he had to go uh, back to Serbia on another uh, jaunt and arrive at his hometown uh, un, un, uh, uh, without trophies, without records, maybe losing records permanently. I'm going to get into how that can happen. But um, the past 10 days, Robinson writes, have made it clear that the cost of remaining unvaccinated is still rising for Djokovic's career and legacy. And it could end up undercutting his effort to wind up with more titles because uh, we're going to see how now the other tournaments have reacted. Now, he flew halfway across the world and he didn't play a match. Um, he believed he could secure an exemption to Australian rules that required travelers to be vaccinated. And, and, and instead, he was put into detention not once but twice, government detention for almost a week. He had his uh, lawyers pleading his case. But Australia says, hey, this is our country. Uh, we said, and we don't have any exceptions. If we do, we don't have rules. And our first job is to secure the health of our country. So he finally wound up with his lawyers pleading his case before a three-judge panel. And uh, they ruled against him. And then he had no choice but to fly home. But uh, Robinson's thesis here is that this is not the end of Djokovic's problems. This is just the beginning because there are rules about international travel and attending major events that are not showing any sign of loosening up in the near future. In fact, they'll tighten up. And uh, he has announced, Djokovic has announced publicly many times that he's against vaccine mandates for tournaments, but that's not the direction the tournaments are going in. France's sports minister, Roxana Marasonu, confirmed that once the calendar comes up to the uh, French Open, which comes up in May, uh, all the athletes that are hoping to travel to France will have to be vaccinated unless the pandemic situation changes substantially. Changes substantially is the word there. That adverb modifies change, changes substantially. So right now, he's 34 years old. He's tied with Federer and Nadal, who's in the tournament. Federer's not because of age and injuries, uh, with 20 Grand Slam tournament titles. Um, he was favored to win this one and go out ahead. But this is all on hold. And he could be, this is the other rule, he might not be back for the Australian Open next year because whether he gets vaccinated or not, the rule in Australia is once you're banned, you're banned for three years. It's kind of like getting thrown out of the local topless bar for uh, charging the stage and trying to wrestle the girls or something. You're not just thrown out that night. You're thrown out permanently. Um, and, and, you know, so, you know, this is kind of uh, what's happened here. Uh, he's probably thrown out of Australia for all intents and purposes permanently. And that's really going to mess up any kind of shot he's got at going down as one of the greats, if not the GOAT, the greatest of all times. 
which is right now held by Federer. Um, his trips even to other tournaments can become complicated now um, since France is converting its health passes. Also, this is what is going on in France. Uh, you're going to need a clear vaccination record to go to restaurants, to go to the movies, to go to public events. You're going to need a vaccine pass in France, okay? And that requires people to be jabbed and boosted, okay? And the other thing that's going to occur, we have to speculate on this given the pattern, if the virus modifies itself again and then we develop another response to that, you'll be required to have that in these countries. So it could be even beyond the two vax and the jab, it could be into another uh, uh, requirement that changes in light of the virus changing. We're not going to eradicate the virus is what the latest uh, science gives us. It's going to be here and it's going to be hopefully something that uh, you live with, but nevertheless, you're going to be have to inoculate it against to some extent. Now, uh, the, the, the sports minister in France has just issued this decree uh, that there will be no exemptions to any athlete coming into the French Open. Uh, you see, it goes Australian Open, then it, which is the hard court down under. Then it goes to the clay. Uh, uh, then it goes to Wimbledon, and, uh, which is the grass. And then it comes to New York in the fall. So those are the big ones. Uh, so right now, the U UK has no such restrictions in place. Uh, but the U.S. Open is going to be a problem because non-U.S. citizens are required to be fully vaccinated before they enter the United States. So clearly already he's crossways in the road with the U.S. Open, which is not until September. So if you're coming in from another country uh, and you're not vaccinated, you're not going to play in the U.S. Open. So there are three tournaments, uh, and you include Australia. So you have the Australian Open, then you have the French Open, and you have the U.S. Open, and it leaves possibly England. But England could become more restrictive as well, depending upon how uh, this whole uh, virus uh, uh, affects everyone. So even if uh, Jock uh, and his nickname being Novax, even if Novax were to obtain an exemption from the U.S., um, the, the, the New York City vaccine mandates, uh, he would want to follow those rules uh, because this is interesting. There are two courts in, uh, uh, well, one, Arthur, that I know of last time, Arthur Ashe Court can be covered if it rains. Now, this is interesting. Uh, an unvaccinated player could also run afoul of New York's rules that in and in a in a in a building with a roof, you are required to be vaccinated. The theory here is that we're all breathing each other's air conditioned air, just as you are on an airplane. So uh, the roof can be closed at Arthur Ashe Court in clement weather, sliding shut for rain, and that would automatically ban Novax immediately or anybody else. So um, uh, his unvaccinated status has. Uh, tremendously affected his competitive schedule. Tennis is the type of sport that you must hit a thousand balls at least a day, uh, maybe a couple times a day, 2000 balls. Uh, it requires all sorts of skills uh, that none of the other sports require. 
plus you're out there by yourself and the singles where he is, and it's a tough, tough game. Um, so he is in the um, he is really cooked his goose here in a lot of ways. This is not like Aaron Rodgers. If you want to compare the two, Aaron Rodgers is also somebody who marches to a different drummer, but he uh, was has NFL rules and they quarantined him long enough to be sure that he wasn't carrying around the virus and can infect others. I, I think that's the way it worked. And they let him back on the field. Um, that ain't, that's not going to happen, apparently, in tennis, particularly in these foreign countries. So um, uh, the, 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 the opportunity that l did lie before Djokovic is um, now really, really on hold. Meanwhile, uh, Rafa Nadal and the others have not sided with him. There's only one who has sided with him, and he's kind of a loose wire too, uh, Kyrgios, uh, and he he is a he's a nutcase. He's uh, he's viewed by by uh, all the all the people in the sport as kind of a uh, you know off the wall and uh, doesn't behave. Tremendously talented. Reminds me of a young man we had around here once upon a time, whose um, a name I shall not mention. A prodigy, a tennis prodigy. Uh, he was so much better than everybody he was playing that he would drink wine while he was playing and wear a cowboy hat uh, in a July day uh, and whack the ball as hard as anybody on the pro circuit could do it. Uh, unfortunately, that young man uh, died of an overdose eventually at a very young age. So uh, generally where there's smoke, there's fire, you might say from that. Um, but anyway, um, Novak Djokovic, uh, he is in pretty serious trouble as far as his athletics goes. He's been welcomed back to uh, Serbia, of course, his home country. Um, you know, another thing I want to get into just briefly here with you about, you know, I'm constantly researching um, this issue, the COVID issue, because it's a moving target. And nobody really knows anything about what it's doing or what it's going to morph into or where it came from. Uh, you know, we've got all the different theories that the Chinese did it on purpose to control the world. I don't know. You know, I mean, I watched a lot of James Bond movies, too. So um, who knows? But um, um, definitely it's it's out of the lab now. And as far as I know, the lab hadn't been nuked. So I don't know. I've been told that should have happened. But um, what do I know? But um, there has been a study by a couple of writers here, um, uh, Jay Bhattacharya and uh, Tom Nicholson, who have taken a look at how science has been corrupted to fit the political message associated with that COVID is being used for. And I thought this was interesting. Um, they have in, uh, in, in North Carolina Department of Health and Sur uh, Human Services, they have um, uh, uh, something called test to stay. And it's an approach to school children's uh, who identified as close contacts of COVID positive people. And the purpose of test to stay is to excuse these children from quarantine if they test negative for the virus. So if your daddy's got COVID, your mama's got COVID, and you're around them, of course, and you come to school, but you test negative, uh, you can stay. So uh, this is an uh, uh, attempt to keep the students away from being quarantined. And I've got some research I'm gonna share with you probably tomorrow that's coming from a teacher who has really been listening to the show and, and understands some of the issues we talk about and is gonna talk about how tremendously damaging 
the quarantining of students from school has been to their learning. Uh, it has really, in the early years especially, really discombobulated these kids. If you think about it, first, second, third year, uh, when all the real formative bases uh, made for your study habits and your curiosity and uh, your learning skills, uh, and you're, you're, you're not able to go and be in a community setting, uh, it's been very damaging. Uh, these teachers who teach the fourth and fifth grade kids really see it now because those kids missed being around school when they were in the first, second, third grade. Now they're showing up uh, in a fourth and fifth. Maybe they did through a distance or whatever kind of learning and substituted for it. But the fact that they weren't around people and interacted with the people has made a demonstrable uh, difference in their behavior. So this, uh, I suppose, were good intentions here, uh, intentions here uh, with test to stay. And it was reasonable and probably useful. Uh, but the problem with the analysis, according to these two researchers who researched the research, was that uh, they, the, the report, in order to get it to say what they wanted it to say, misled the readers. Um, they only, for example, uh, in, in, in uh, the primary conclusions was that in schools with university masking test to stay, it's an effective strategy. But uh, the, what, what they didn't do is they studied no unmasked schools. So the conclusion really wasn't useful. They only tested in schools that they thought would produce the results they wanted. And therefore, they omitted the other schools. And the researchers found that Unfortunately, you can't trust any of the research uh, that's come out of the test to stay researchers uh, uh, work. And now this is not a common story that I hear from a lot of different sources on the COVID. Uh, as I say, as a continuum, you can hear everything from uh, conspiratorial. Uh, I'm supposed to example, and all those like me, my immune system will crash since I was inoculated first a year ago uh, in another year say goodbye to Ward Scott, his immune system was, is going to crash. And then there's a person who watches the show, very good fan of the show, modified that to say, no, it'd be two years. So in um, that, that person's calculations, believes the same thing that the other person does, that all people's immune systems will crash. You had the uh, mnRNA, whatever, uh, and, and one says three, the other says two. So that's easy. That will be around. A lot of us will be around and watch that. We'll see if that proves out. But here, uh, the media then picked up this press release from the text, uh, test to say uh, researchers and uh, added another layer of falsehood. Um, so um, it was really um, uh, an attempt to um, uh, defend forced masking is what it was. And um, um, they, even, they even corrupted the finding in sports. So here's, you, you, you have to give Djokovic some, I mean, the reason I'm putting these two uh, examples side by side is Djokovic has to have some understanding of this manipulation of research and data. And he's asking for, aren't there other approaches? And clearly what's happening in the world is there are no other accepted uh, to speak of approaches other than the vaccinations. And this has come home uh, to really affect, uh, he's, he's not the only person who was deported, by the way, from Australia, but uh, he's the only big time superstar that was that he thought might therefore be 
uh, treated differently. Um, uh, so an honest summary of what the, these researchers found, researchers found that the test to stay researchers, researchers sort of found is that there is a low transmission rate of, of the virus among students, even when unmasked at lunch or during sports. Now, I noticed last night in watching on television, uh, the gymnastics, which had about 9,000 people there, very few wore masks. Uh, I went to the basketball game the other night. I only saw one mask, uh, maybe two or three, not many, not many. People themselves have decided, you know, I got to go on and live my life. I got to go on and, and, you know, cross the street. I will cross when it says walk. I won't cross when it says don't walk, but I'm going to cross it. And uh, uh, the children have to go to school and uh, we have to push on. Otherwise, we're going to affect this is one school of thought, of course, that I'm presenting to you uh, along this vast continuum of thinking and research. So uh, the problem with the efficiency of this masking study, uh, apparently, uh, is that it didn't include the unmasked control group. And therefore, uh, it was an unfair comparison, what we call in rhetorical strategies, an unfair comparison. Uh, I exercised that strategy with my students, you're my students, they have to write a fair comparison paper and they have to write an unfair comparison paper. So that, that they learn both ways to do it. They learn to cheat and they learn to think clearly. Now, um, the, the A students do both. They can think, they can write both papers. They can write the unfair comparison and they can write the fair comparison. Um, and you can easily, they don't, I don't grade them, they grade themselves. And you can go right on down the line and you can find uh, right away, who can't clear his head of a, of a bias. Um, so <clears throat> the conclusion of these researchers who are professors of medicine and research at Stanford, um, uh, they, 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 they conclude that the problem with scientific communication here right now with the COVID is that it should limit itself to the communication of science or rather than the manipulation of human behavior. I think that's one of the best sentences I've seen uh, printed about uh, that I've studied about the issue that is upsetting people and, and spacing them out along the continuum of COVID attitudes. Uh, if you could trust the science uh, and not be uh, uh, feel like your, your behavior is being uh, manipulated, uh, maybe we'd have a different type of, 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 uh, of uh, culture right now. But this is the this is the constant barrage of criticism uh, uh, at uh, at uh, the federal government and Biden has it, it, unfortunately Biden is such a nutcase that uh, he has politicized and said so many uh, baseless things like I'll personally I'll eradicate COVID and you know trust me and you know I'm the I'm the guru and all this stuff and it, it's just not happening. Um, he can't he can't produce that. So uh, meanwhile, we've got all this citizenship that's being I just wanted to put this in the conversation uh, sometime this month. This is in the uh, this is an editorial in the Washington Examiner. Let me get these numbers right now. Sometime this month, the Border Patrol will make its two millionth arrest of illegal uh, people coming in the southern border since Joe Biden became president. Two million people since he's been president. Uh, close to half of those arrested after the illegal entry 
have been released into the United States by Biden. They were never deported. Now California wants to give all these illegal immigrants free health care. Okay? And New York, New York wants to give them the right to vote. I think really one of our guests on the show cited it. He thought that it would be immigration, the big issue that ultimately would, you know, sink us. I mean, come on. If Democrats have their way, according to the editorial in, in the uh, Washington Examiner, citizenship will be meaningless uh, and the borders are meaningless. California has already been giving illegal immigrants under the age of 26 free health care for two years now. Uh, they are set to expand this privilege to illegal immigrants over the age of 50 this spring. Now, that's going to be at 700,000 people at the cost of $2.2 annually. Are you, are, you kidding, are you kidding me? I mean, I, can't, I just can't believe it. Um, this is the left doing this. If this doesn't tell you something about where this country's headed, if you don't change it, there are five other deep blue states already giving free health care to illegal immigrant children. New York, Oregon, uh, they are Illinois, Massachusetts, New York, Oregon, and Washington. And uh, I, 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 I just I have a tough time um, going through these things because so nobody calls anybody's on the carpet for this. Um, the 1993, this opinion piece points out that the 1993 Motor Voter Act made it illegal for non-citizens to vote in federal elections. Um, but it did allow room for states to allow non-citizens to vote in local elections. How in the world they ever did that is, is, is beyond me. So, um, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're, you know the, the Democrats are so eager to get more non-citizens into the voting booth. And they don't even talk about that. If you criticize that, they'll call that, uh, oh, well, that's voter suppression. These people aren't even citizens for crying out loud. So then they're not being tested health-wise and they're using the health system. So um, I just, you know, I call that the immigrant invasion and the unmasked study. So, um, uh, we'll take a break here for our sponsors. And, um, you know, it, it's a every day it's a strange world. I, I um, you know, you guys have got it in your hands. It's your world, uh, students. You go out and vote or you go out and get active or uh, you sit there and listen to it. But uh, um, Jim Murphy says, is this the death of the great American experiment? There's a lot of people who think, well, Jim, you can't go on like this. One reasonable person would think you can't go on with, uh, no definition for citizenship that means anything. And on the other and, and it's a complete violation of the Constitution. Uh, there you are. We'll take a break here. I'll get back and eat my coffee or something um, um, while I cool down. This is nutty. Be right back. This is Ward Scott. And I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Award Scott Files Gold sponsors are On the Spot Dry Cleaners, Okita America Martial Arts, RR Construction, Gators Dockside, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, 
you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. were lard, you couldn't grease a small frying pan. Ken Cornell, known as the thin-skinned water boy. Ken Cornell, known as Minnie Mike. Ken Cornell, wears elevator shoes. Ken Cornell, he just wants to be like. To call you stupid would be an insult to stupid people! Achtung, Achtung, the papers are not in order. Step out of the line and report to the inspection station. We are going to search your belongings. Mach schnell! Check this out, Warthog. He's gonna come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pat him. Can Hi, we, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! All right, welcome back, welcome back. Um, you know, um, there are people who think that uh, uh, this is P Professor Ward Scott now. I'm out of the Coach Hog hat. Uh, we're in the Melton Law Studio in the Warthog Command Center, 352-325-3938. Melton Law, the only law partner at the University of Florida. Um, John Ellis, who's a German literature professor, emeritus at the University of California, has wondered something we've talked about on the show quite a bit. And that is, um, what is behind politics getting so bad and as one who's been in higher ed and is a professor emeritus myself, um, I, I thought this was interesting because I've been talking about this with you for quite a while. But um, uh, he, he believes that it's because um, um, higher ed is, is so bad and keeps getting worse. Um, all these crazy ideas, you know, I'm going to get into MLK Day here in a little bit. And I'm going to give you one of my very favorite quotes from Martin Luther King Jr. And um, uh, this will go right nicely with what we're talking about here. Um, but he really believes that if higher ed taught people to think critically, uh, then uh, they would come to the illogical conclusion that the critical race theory was a ridiculous idea, uh, that it really was a step backwards in race relations. Um, and uh, some of these other things are uninvestigated by clear thinking. Uh, wouldn't make it out of the classroom because the people would be taught to think clearly about things. But, um, you know, they'd be, um, 
he doesn't think that's really what's happening in education. He thinks that the campuses have been radicalized. I, I know we have out on Wartop Bulletin Board a letter that really had the blessing of Fox, this guy who's going to get a sweetheart deal uh, as president. He's going to be able to retire and keep all those perks, I assume, and then go back in the classroom and retire and be in the state retirement system. Uh, and he is the one who sanctioned and uh, okayed the uh, re-education camp that professors had to go to that never made the papers or anything. Ward Scott Files, the only one that I know of that reported it, where you had to admit if you were white, you were biased, and you had to have this sort of racial cleansing. And uh, we've got the evidence of that. If you want to go to the Ward's Hot Bulletin Board and check it out, um, it's a letter to the dance department, I think. You'll see it. That letter went out to all the departments, or something like it went out to all the departments. This was done under Fox. And this, as far as many people are concerned, is the politicalization of the campus by its own faculty. The faculty and presidents, they're up there griping right now in New York, or I mean in, in, uh, in Tallahassee, that um, uh, DeSantis has politicized the university. The faculty did it to themselves. The college presidents did it to themselves. And we have proof of it there on Ward's Hot Bulletin Board. They have radicalized the college campuses themselves. And the German literature professor emeritus says, this is all a plan formulated by Marxist radicals. And who were those Marxist radicals? You may recall, if you're my age group, it was the SDS or the Students for a Democratic Society. Now the Students for Democratic Society were established in 1962. And, uh, um, they couldn't get any traction at the ballot box, according to our professor of German literature, uh, but they did uh, get control of academia and the universities, where they worked diligently at converting people in the classroom through curriculum and, and hiring certain people and, uh, and advancing publications of things that they wrote, uh, this ideology. And uh, at the beginning, uh, uh, they, they began to, and after a while, uh, they had a five to one uh, left-right faculty ratio by the turn of the century. So by the end of 1999, uh, I retired in 2007, in, in 1999, uh, there were five liberal professors for every one conservative, all right? Now, the last time, as I say, I checked at the University of Florida Law School, there was only one Republican law professor in the entire faculty. So you, I ask you, you know, what do you do? Well, you don't know about it unless I tell you. Um, so now uh, there is now that we've had time pass by 2016. Uh, so that's 16 years. Uh, it is a 12 to one left to uh, right uh, faculty ratio. 12 <clears throat> liberal professors for every one conservative. Now, now, if we come to 2022, it's about uh, uh, 15 to 1. 15 to 1. Um, so the, the, I, I think there's something to this. Why are politics in such bad shape? Because education is the actual 
thing that we're supposed to be using to checkmate all this stuff, um, they, they have um, not been the ones, of course, doing it. And the only thing now that is re reacting to it is the public's common sense and where generally at the K through 12 school board meetings where the parents have mounted real spirited campaigns against teaching critical race theory, for example, uh, in those schools, but nobody's doing it in the colleges. Um, the, so the credentials of a college degree has been seriously corrupted, according to our professor. And I have to say that I, he is mimicking or saying or agreeing with a lot of the things that I have said already about this. Um, if, if one can't apply this to uh, Biden's speech and see what this guy did, uh, he, his speech was in Georgia was aggressive, intemperate, and offensive, and it was meant to offend. This is all according to a, an opinion analysis of this guy. Um, it seemed prepared by people who think that if, there's, if you're not a Democrat, then you're not an American. Um, it is... Uh, uh, it is really called about 76 million people terrorists, has it not? Yet uh, the Quinnipiac poll shows Biden's numbers are in the tank. The popular wisdom of the general person, apparently, hopefully, is going to prevail, provided he isn't stigmatized and labeled as a, as a domestic terrorist. Um, it, it is, um, it is, and that's what the, the, the Democrats are apparently seriously doing right now, uh, demonizing uh, uh, Americans who disagree with them, even to the extent that they call them uh, as, as um, traitorous as Civil War people. Um, and this is even calling the senators traitors. So um, good luck. I mean, um, a president is shouting, a president, Biden is shouting, that 52 senators and millions and millions of Americans are racist. That's the other thing that he's doing. And, and uh, propagandizing against his own country and delegitimizing, probably attempting, and this is what I think he's really up to, is delegitimizing de the next election. Now, here's the thing. You got to realize that the very thing that they are criticizing the Oath Keepers of and the January 6th terrorist operation is what they will, I promise you, engage in in some form in the November 22nd elections if it doesn't go well for their seats in Congress. You watch. They will scream the very same thing. The very same thing. Now, you know, where else do you see this reflected? You know, I'm a big fan of Jason Riley. Okay, you know this. Um, um, he has taken a look at what happens at the city levels. Now, just in focusing on uh, primarily New York. Now, we've got the same problem here in Gainesville. Uh, crime surges when you put in Democrat mayors. We have got an increase in crime locally here of 14%. We've got a boy named Lauren for mayor. We've got a Democrat council commission uh, running the city. And they sit there and worry about diversity and inclusion while crime 
goes up 14%. And Jason Riley says this is no uh, um, accident. The quality of life, and he's going to use a couple of black mayors in New York as examples, the quality of life um, has, uh, has, 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 has gone down in New York because of crime. It's risen 46% since 2016. Rapes and felony assaults have increased. In the past two years, Riley says, gun violence has more than doubled and uh, record number of homicides and crime is tearing at the vital parts of the city, really. The quality of life is deteriorating and he reminds the reader here that Dinkins, who was the first black mayor of New York, embraced homelessness and tolerated. So the previous decade, they have an example, they have a benchmark and it's Dinkins. And he had high profile racial instances um, that um, the press used to be demagogues with and blame whites for. Uh, and that was all brought about by having um, uh, a black mayor, according to the black writer, Riley, who can think for himself, by the way. And, and, uh, and meanwhile, Dinkin, just like Obama, ran as somebody who would heal racial divisions rather than create them. And Obama created them and Dinkins created them. And now, of course, Riley is concerned that this new mayor will do the very same thing. Um, the race relations have worsened under black mayors. Uh, sharp increases in welfare dependency and hundreds of thousands of job losses. Don't blame the messenger me. This is Riley saying this. Black leaders of big cities have always been liberals. And they want to accommodate poverty rather than facilitate, facilitate upward mobility. This is the language of Riley. This is going on in Gainesville. This is going on in Gainesville. There's nothing that, that this, this city is doing to, to encourage upward mobility. It's finger pointing. It's wearing a chip on the shoulder. It's blaming the same old saw and dance. So the cultural differences is what Riley says. You've got to change the culture. I've been saying that forever. But the whites can't change the black culture. The blacks have to change the culture themselves. These attitudes and habits and behaviors they have been solidified and encouraged by the whites who have used the blacks for their liberal vote. Trying to do the same with the citizens who are not citizens, the immigrants. Uh, so the liberal elites welcome black participation. The, pla the black participation in the city of Gainesville. Do you realize you have a black uh, police chief? You have, um, you have a liberal a boy named Lauren Mayer. You have a black city manager. Um, uh, you have a black courthouse name. You have, I mean, somebody pointed this out to me the other day. So, so you know, this is, this is what must be an example of upward mobility rather than wallowing in of the bad habits that have been really uh, presented in a subverted way by the white liberals. And this is Jason Riley writing this. So the history that uh, uh, Mr. Riley wants to point out is that with this new mayor, Adams, is he better teach his culture that competence matters more than skin tone. 
I don't know if that'll get done. Um, that is a real, real significant kind of thing to ask people to do. Now, I've got to point out uh, that uh, uh, um, the the, uh, the the MLK day today. You know, I was around, of course, in in my youth, right around Selma. My military school was right down the road from Selma. Uh, uh, my family lived in Montgomery. Um, you know, I have I have um, been across the Pettus Bridge many times. Um, I I um, have seen uh, all these black leaders in person. Um, um, you know, it's just something that my age group grew up with. I was fully aware of of, of the issues. I knew about Night Riders. Um, I, I you know this was just stuff that. That, you know, my generation of people uh, were exposed to. And of course, in college, there is one thing we do teach that King wrote that is absolutely great. And that is the letter from Birmingham jail. It is a tremendous piece uh, in arguing about law and what is the purpose of law. And um, it is written by an extremely intelligent uh, uh, writer, of course, it was Martin Luther King. And a lot of people don't realize this. And Jesse Jackson said this when I was at that um, speech at, that he gave uh, to just black folk. And I was one of the guys there because I was being endorsed by them. Um, he said that, uh, and this was the King's family also has said this, that Martin Luther King was a Republican. And some of King's family still are Republicans. Martin Luther King was a Republican. Well, sure. All the all the all the Democrats in the South were, uh, you know, Bull Connor and these people. So it would be logical that King was a Republican. And the word went forth for uh, Nixon to come to the Birmingham jail and see and visit uh, King. Nixon didn't do it, but Kennedy did. And because Kennedy did it, King switched to the Democrat Party. And it's been hello and goodbye ever since. But King was a conservative. He was not. And, you know, when he and I remember the very moment, of course, that news came forth uh, that uh, uh, he'd been killed in, in, in Memphis, Tennessee, that that vacuum was filled with anger and it was filled by the Black Panthers. And it started in Oakland and Watts was burned and all these things eventually began to happen. And, and uh, the whole tone and tenor uh, was unchecked. Uh, the spirituality um, that uh, was uh, used, and it was primarily done through the Christian religion, um, to, to, uh, to love rather than to, 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 and the opposite of love is not hate, by the way. A lot of people get that wrong. Uh, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is power. And if you want to see the antithesis of power, go to Corinthians, and you'll see that love endures all things, uh, uh, tolerates all things, wants nothing. You'll see the definition of love there. So the antithesis of love is power, because power wants everything for itself. Love wants nothing for itself. So that message under was under was underpinning most of King's presentations, but it wasn't underpinning, of course. Uh, Elridge Cleaver and those kind of people who were also, and uh, of course, uh, uh, the Muslims, the black Muslims 
anger broke loose after that and revenge. And we are there right now. We have never had anybody reverse it. We don't have a great black spiritual leader. The country doesn't have a spiritual leader, period. There is none. There is absolutely none that I can find. So I thought being in education, you might understand, as I've said before, this was written in 1947 by Martin Luther King when he was 18 years old. It was a short essay in the Maroon Tiger, uh, which was the Morehouse College campus newspaper, and wherein he argued um, uh, that you must not confuse education uh, with knowledge, which is exactly the opposite of what we've done. Not only have we made education about knowledge, but it's about political knowledge and political ideology. I don't think at age 18, even he could see this coming. Uh, nobody could see, uh, unless, I don't know that, it, unless it was Marxists, of course, who deliberately set out to do it, that education would be turned into uh, a, an ideological indoctrination camp. Um, King wrote at, at age 18 in this essay that the function of education is to teach one to think intensively and to think critically. And that intelligence plus character, that's the goal of true education. Uh, that is missing in this culture. No, the only people that I know are demonstrating it are the Asians and they're being, uh, uh, they're, they're being the subject of bias. Uh, the Asians are being, and they don't really demonstrate and share our religion. So you see, the thing that King had uh, is that uh, the whites and the blacks share a Bible. And if you go to the plantations in South Carolina, uh, the Dayton plantation there, I believe is the name of it, uh, you'll see a big school there with deaths and, you know, what was going on? Well, the plantation owner was teaching the black people to read and write. Because the Bible is accessible, it's a written, it's a written religion. So you have to be able to read uh, to understand it. So you teach people to read and write, and then they can read the Bible. The Bible was considered to be such an important citizen builder by a King, uh, King James Version, of course, is that it was translated into English because uh, the, England, the, the, the kings were concerned that uh, uh, the Catholics were stealing their citizens and making their citizens subject to the uh, uh, demands of the Catholic popes and also taking the money out of the country because the Catholic popes would sell indulgences. And an indulgence was that which you paid to get the, the lost dead soul out of purgatory. So you gave the money to the Catholic popes and then they used that to get the soul out of purgatory. And that was a racket that was bothering the kings because the money wasn't going into the English, uh, the England till. It was going into the Italian till. And so uh, King James said, let's get that Bible into a Bible language that everybody in this country can read and understand. And then we'll have the true hierarchy. And Christendom was based on that. The royal was the divine representation of God's will on earth. And then the royal made the, the, the uh, policies and the, uh, the, the tenets of that available in the written word. This was not new. Confucius did this. Uh, the, the, uh, the Chinese did this. They understood. Plato understood this, that 
uh, the, the, the higher educated people will be able to interpret uh, that, uh, but it would take uh, uh, ministers of the word to bring it back to the average person. So it was all a hierarchy. We don't have that now. Christendom is completely fractured. There is no such thing as Christendom. Christendom, if you want to read it, read uh, 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 um, um, Sigrid Unset and uh, 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 that great work, and I'll come to it in my mind, uh, Christian Lovren's daughter, uh, you read that great uh, work by that great Nobel Prize winning Swedish writer, and you'll see the moment that Christendom is shattered uh, and fragmented. And, uh, it, and because Christendom is based on meritocracy, King's words here are based on meritocracy, not equality. I would really like to know what King would think about today's black leaders and today's corruption by the whites of, of the, the, the meritocracy that he believed in. Uh, he, you can see it in this quote as an 18 year old kid that you know, if you wanna get somewhere in this world, learn to think well, uh, learn to be uh, uh, a, a very good uh, character and then everything will take care of itself. It's not skin tone. It's, it's not anything like that. It's your brain. It's your mind. And there is anybody, uh, uh, anybody who understands rhetorical strategies and studies King. Uh, you have to study that because he knew them so well. But I don't think we've even remotely got that in education. We certainly don't have it in the white liberals. They don't understand. We don't have it at the school board. Uh, these people at that school board don't have a clue what I'm talking about. You take somebody like me to teach this to you, okay? I'm a teacher right now. I'm teaching you what's going on. There is no Christendom. It's been fractured. We now have equality and all that kind of language. Christendom's not built on equality. Christendom is built on merit, merit, merit. You do good, you are protected, you're looked after. That's what matters, the character, the uh, Ability to, to discern for yourself and make very wise. How do you do it? You learn to read and you learn to write. And if you can do that, you can protect yourself and your country and your culture. That isn't going on anywhere in this sick culture we have now. Absolutely nowhere. It's, uh, it, it, it's just not done. And academia does not do it because academia has been corrupted by the Marxists. So the media is so immature and so poorly educated. Whenever I'm interviewed, for example, by somebody, uh, which fortunately hasn't been recently, I have to educate the reporter before I can let them ask me questions because they don't know what questions to ask me. They're just standing there with a microphone. They're, they're just, they just don't know. And, and you know, so I have to take them aside before we go live on the air and say, you know, this is what you want to draw out of me. They don't know. No, they just have no clue. Uh, so, I'm, I'm, I'm upset about that. I think that's where we are as a culture. And uh, I don't know if it will change in my lifetime, but that's um, my uh, treatment of Martin Luther King Jr. Day is exactly that. We don't have anything left of the foundation on which many of his attitudes were formed. So have a great day. I hope you have a good one. Warthog Command Center out.